Hey, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. It's a beautiful morning out there. We're excited to worship together. Psalm 34.8 is our call to worship this morning. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. He's not only good, but he's the creator of goodness. He defines goodness. What better place can we run for refuge? So church, this morning, let's stand together. Let's sing about the goodness of God this morning. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God sing all my life and all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every
one more time, church. All my life. All my This month, if, you, if you've been coming to fellowship for, for a few years now, um, then you're probably aware of this trend. But if, uh, if you're not, then this is something that's special to us is that uh, in the month of July, the past few years, we've had what we have called Acoustic Month. And uh, the purpose behind that, and there's a, there's a couple of different reasons. One is um, it's a really good rhythm for our volunteers to get rest, to get a break. So for the month of July, what we're going to do is we're going to strip back the music a little bit. It's going to be just one or two, just a, just a few people on stage, probably not drums and uh, the whole month, but we're, we're just going to pull back a little bit. We're going to give volunteers a rest. And if you didn't know this, um, we our worship leaders met together and, and we just uh, recounted our volunteers and... and um, kind of figured out how many we've got specifically in uh, the worship ministry. We have 92 different people serving as musicians and vocalists at Fellowship Fayetteville. We've been enormously blessed. Um, and we, we want to give those individuals time to rest and a break from, from the rhythms from rehearsals during the week. And so that's one of the reasons we do this Acoustic Month. And the other one um, is for us as a church body to get a breath, to not be overwhelmed with the full band and the production week after week, but it's good for us uh, to engage in that style of worship, but it's also really good for us to strip back and, and to be, um, be able to hear each other's voices more um, and to be able to uh, be encouraged by the worship that's happening around us. And so um, that's, that's another purpose of this month. And so we're going to do that. We're going to do that for the next, next five weeks throughout the month of July. And so I hope that you would um, become, become expecting and excited about that um, as we pull back the music just a little bit, but we continue to engage in worship. And so as we continue to engage, I want to read our scripture this morning. So as you stay seated, let's, let's use this time to reflect, to meditate on these words that Clark is going to uh, dive into and he's going to teach in just a bit. Servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's, let's stay seated. Let's continue to stay seated. And let's just sing these songs. If you don't know this song, let the words be a prayer for you this morning as uh, those around you sing. Take these hands. Lift them up, for I have not the strength to praise you near enough. See, I have nothing, I have nothing without you.
So take my time here on this earth and let it glorify all that you are worth. For I am nothing. I our prayer and we're reminded of that every week when we take a moment to remind ourselves that we're sinners each and every one of us sinners in need of a savior we confess our sin together corporately so church let's do that now heavenly father have mercy on us we have not loved you as you deserve we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves we have not obeyed you as we should Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Week after week, we confess that. But church, we don't stay there because we, in fact, have been given an all-good, almighty Savior whose blood covers all of our sins, all of us who approach and ask him for forgiveness. We admit our need for him, and we trust him with our lives. And so we can rejoice in that. So Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. Church, believe the good news together. Let's do this. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, let's stand together and let's sing about that grace. You were the word at the
Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the seen that we mean it this morning God that you have no rival there is none equal to you there's none more wonderful more powerful more beautiful than you almighty God God so it's our joy this morning to extend our praise to extend these songs and this worship to you to exalt your almighty name God, it's our joy we love you in your son's name amen church you can have a seat 
One of the most important programs at the Samaritan Community Center is Backpacks for Kids. And even though the program only lasts for one day, its effects can be felt over a lifetime. That's because its goal is to equip at-risk kids with the tools they need to succeed in school by helping 4,000 children in Northwest Arkansas to have the confidence and resources they need to achieve an education, we're investing in the future of our state where it matters the most. As we gear up for the 21st annual Backpacks for Kids event, it's amazing to see our community rally together to make each year better than the last. And Fellowship Bible Church is playing such an important role in supporting our mission. From all of us here at the Samaritan Community Center, I just want to say thank you. Good morning, church family and Samaritan Community Center is a ministry that we partnered with for over a couple of decades now, and uh, primarily in Rogers in its infancy, but also now in Bentonville, and we have an opportunity here in Fayetteville to do the same. As you were walking in, you likely saw a couple of bins, red and blue, and for the next two weeks, next week and the week after, those are available for you to provide some of these things by these dates, and so you can see the details up there on the screen. And uh, this is a tangible way that you can play your part in, um, in helping those who are in need here in Northwest Arkansas. And it's a way that we can partner with some of our other congregations, too, in uh, the Samaritan Community Center's work on behalf of those in need. And so uh, thanks for your, uh, just, I'll say it ahead of time, for your participation in that. Uh, well, if I haven't met you or you've been out for a while, my name's Clark, and I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, my wife Pam and I, we've been away for a few weeks, and I'm grateful for team ministry for sure. Uh, we were able to spend some time on the Journeys of Paul trip in, uh, in Athens and Greece and uh, Istanbul and all up and down um, the Aegean Sea as we went to places that Paul sowed the gospel in and planted churches in. And so we're grateful to have making our way back. We got to spend some time with those from Fellowship Little Rock. Fellowship Rogers, Fellowship Bentonville, and here in Fellowship Fayetteville. And so I'm um, just glad to be back um, with my church family for sure. Um, there were a few uh, mornings, and I see Margo over here, where we were, we were worshiping like this as the boat leaned. And, uh, and so I get to be on a steady platform now. And so I'm grateful uh, for that to be with you this morning. Hey, I want to take a, a minute though, and I know that the offering plates are being passed, and so, but I'd like to do this anyway. And so let the, the plate pass, participate in uh, generous giving, and uh, what I w- want to do is just take a minute and acknowledge our, our great commission statement, if you will, to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world. Um, this is our mission statement. This is how we embrace the great commission here at Fellowship Fayetteville, Fellowship Rogers, Mosaic, Fellowship Bentonville, through our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and as we speak, um, as I walked home to the, uh, the parking lot this morning, I saw a bus loading up, and it was a group of teenagers heading out to Timberline, Colorado, and I wanted to pray for them for just a minute, and I also want to pray for those that many of you have partnered with financially to support the next generation who are in places all around the world right now, making the gospel known where it is not yet known. And some of you have partnered with parachurch organizations or ministry initiatives through our church, and I don't want to forget them. 
this holiday weekend is we've been given freedom um, to be here this morning. I want to acknowledge that that doesn't exist in some places. And so we're going to just take a minute and we're going to pray for those. And so go ahead and uh, close your eyes and bow your head. And I'll just prompt you uh, with a few prayer requests. Take a minute. Pray for our next generation here at Fellowship Fayetteville who are going to Timberline, that God would give them an enriching experience to make him king of their life. Pray for that. Pray for that person by name that you've partnered with in financial support this summer. They find themselves in a place around the world or maybe they're being equipped for ministry here in the United States. Pray for that person by name. Ask God to give them gospel fruit for his glory. Father, I want to say thank you uh, for the next generation of our church and their willingness to partner with and go to places that are difficult. Um, Thank you for our students, their willingness to give up a big week in the middle of their summer to invest in their relationship with God. And uh, Father, I want to thank you um, as we celebrate what we call our Freedom Weekend here in our country. Uh, God, I pray that we'd be reminded, not only be grateful for those who made that possible and do make that possible, but also Um, the freedom that you've given us in your son, um, to not be enslaved by expressing our freedoms, but to lay our lives down for others so that they could find true hope in you. And I pray that'd be uh, true of us as we study our passage this morning. We trust you with the outcomes in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, church, for being a part of that time together. If you're new with us or you haven't been with us In a while, we are working through the letter of 1 Peter this summer, and uh, we're trying to understand as followers of Jesus as they were, which is today modern-day Turkey, we're trying to understand how do we live out our identity in a world that seemingly isn't or doesn't feel like our home, and he refers to them as exiles in their culture, yet we're called to be set apart unto God for his special use, his noble use. Uh, You might call us, we're supposed to be gospel reflectors to our neighbors who don't have Christ as their king. And they're called to do that and be that in a very difficult situation. And today we find ourselves in a section of the letter um, that 1 Peter is writing to those. And we're, we're kind of in the middle of these three different categories. And of, of those who are called to submit or to come up under authority. And Michael addressed the first group last week as he addressed this idea of governing authorities and how we're called to come up under governing authorities. These are authorities that God's put over us. Next week, Garland's going to unpack just what does it look like in the home. And today we have a very unique circumstance that we find ourselves in as we understand this relationship between slaves and masters or masters and their domestic servants. And we're going to see here that Jesus' submission, a big idea here, Jesus' submission to unjust authority 
empowers us to actually follow in his steps. Jesus' submission to unjust authority empowers us to follow in his steps. And so if you're a note taker and you like a good outline, it's not very cute this morning. We're going to look at the who. We're going to look at the what are we supposed to be doing, the how, and then we're going to understand the why, which I think is probably the most important piece of this, to understand why we're supposed to submit in this fashion. And so we're just going to kind of work through the text and answer those four questions here. First, as we consider the who. I'm going to be reading from primarily the ESV this morning. It likens this word. Who is he addressing? Servants in their culture. Some of your versions, the NIV, I think maybe use the word slaves. That's who he's directly addressing here. These are most likely Roman domestic servants. They're household servants, slaves, domestic servants. Paul uses the word bondservants when he addresses this group of people in his writings. Now, these household relationships, not just in the home within the family unit, in a Greco-Roman culture consisted of codes that provided authority or order. And it's estimated that up to, up to a third, at least a fourth, of Romans at that time, they existed and played their lives out as one of these domestic servants. And so this is a big part of the Roman Empire and their population. Even the Greek moral philosophers wrote about these codes and these orders and structures here, okay? And so I think it's important that we understand kind of big picture. And so I want to take a step back and I want to make sure that we've got our hearts and our minds centered on the core identity of who we are before we address this specific group of people, okay? The first thing that I think we need to understand who we're created in, we're created in the image of God. He's specifically also speaking to believers, okay? Those who have claimed identity in Christ. And so image of God being in Christ, and then from the first a few verses of this letter, we understand that he's addressing them as he's labeling them as elect exiles. They've been called apart, set apart, chosen to live out this exile existence in a world that's not our home, spiritually and earthly speaking for them. And so these three phrases seem to be their core identity, not because of how they see themselves, but because of what God says about them. And that's instructive for us. Now, I've got on the screen here just four um, specific ways this plays out. And this list is not exhaustive. And we see that play out in our passage today. This is why it's important. For us to understand our true identity, we've got to make sure we don't get our roles before our identity. Okay? We've got to let our identity inform our roles. Because you're created in the name of God, because you're in Christ, because you're in elect exile in this culture, you must steward your citizenship. It's dual. You live on the earth, and you have a spiritual kingdom that you're part of now, and one that you will ultimately, in a very real way, inherit. These core identity truths speak into our ethnicity, specifically for them, for them working through that Jew-Gentile unity issue. speaks into that. It speaks into our socioeconomic demographic. And here specifically today, we see he's addressing slave and free. And then next week, we'll see this core identity speak into um, the home, specifically in the roles of husband 
and wife. Now, um, one of the reasons this is instructive is many of you in the room right now are, are passing on truth to your next generation, okay? You're going to be telling them, instructing them, showing them how to do their role in culture, to become someone, to be something, to do something, to be a productive citizen. It's important that all of that is rooted in their core identity. They're created in the image of God. They're followers of, of Jesus. They're in Christ. And as they progress in their faith, they're going to feel like they're living in a world that's not their home. They're elect exiles. And so you must understand as, as parents, and I've been going through this still, that we've got to preach that core identity into those little hearts and minds. And then we steward these roles that you see there on the screen. And so that's who we're speaking, that's who he's speaking to this morning. They've got this core identity, but this specific group, they find themselves as domestic servants in the household. What are they to do? The command, be subject to your masters with all respect. The word be subject to or to submit to, it literally means to place yourself under the authority of someone. And it does imply some type of order or rank here. So the first question I had when I was reading through this text is why would they need to submit? Now consider their context. It is possible that because of their new commitment to Christ that they've walked away from worshiping pagan gods. It is also quite possible that their masters or those who are over them in this household situation are still worshiping pagan gods. Now they're trying to walk with Jesus, worship him alone as the true king, the true Caesar, if you will, while also respecting their master who continues to worship pagan idols. You can see the conflict of interest there. Their sociopolitical uh, loyalties, they've got new priorities based on this new spiritual kingdom citizenship. Yet Peter is exhorting them to live responsibly within existing social structures. Many of us are working through that type of idea right now as well. I will note this, the idea that Peter would even address slaves as moral agents actually elevates them from a dignity perspective in that culture. The fact that he would even address them, he's elevating their personhood. He's lifting them up even though they do lack some freedoms. Many of them would have to do this dance to not uh, be subversive of their masters, but be faithful to Jesus. And this is also why it's a little tricky, is that um, their faithfulness, their loyalty to their master provided economic stability for what was the economy of all of Rome. So when you start pushing up against that and you start getting into pocketbooks, bad things start to happen. They've got to figure out how to respect their master, but reject worshiping their master's gods. Now, context is important, and also think caution here as well. When we come to passages like this, I think it's instructive that just because Peter addresses slaves and servants, it doesn't mean he's condoning the practice itself. In fact, it's disappointing in the history of the church, and I think we all have had moments where we've misinterpreted things. It would be sloppy hermeneutics or 
sloppy interpretation for anyone to just use a passage as justification for the treatment or the promotion of slavery in this case. Most of us have an idea, of, based on our nation's history, of a certain kind of slavery. That's not what he's promoting. He's addressing the issue in context. He's not condoning the behavior of it. And so what we have here is in likely is pretty dark for many. In others, he actually says that some of the masters were good and gentle. And so um, for some, it was a way, economically, they could actually climb out of poverty. They could pay off debts, and they could claw their ways out of this section of society. And so there's a continuum here. Okay, There's extreme uh, harsh abuses, and there's this an understanding based on the household context that this is how things worked. Okay, so you've got a continuum there. Uh, the other consideration for our context perspective is I think we often, and I understand why, we go straight to this employer-employee relationship motif as we look at this passage, okay? That's not what's happening here, okay? It's a form of it. But you got to do a little bit of work to get there for us to apply some of these principles. And I do believe that there are principles specifically designed for the employer and the employee in this text. But it, it's not necessarily like you're working for a company that has a really cool break room and a great benefit package and lots of vacation days and lots of time off. And as long as you're hitting your numbers, everything kind of works out for you. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. But there are principles at play, and we'll get there in terms of application. And then finally, from a context perspective, one of the things I really appreciate about the biblical text is it gets into grainy parts of our life, the things that are difficult to understand. And I'll say this, it's through submitting well that the gospel is promoted in this passage. Karen Job's commentator says it like this. She says the direct transformation of society structures, even those that are patently unjust, that does not seem to be the goal of the New Testament writers. Rather, it's the transformation of the believer, regardless of one situation, that is the primary concern. Peter is not optimistic about reforming this, the world. In fact, he assumes that injustice will reign until the Lord's return and that to bear up under unjust suffering without sinning is, in fact, the calling of every believer regardless of social status. It's a difficult read, but now that we know who he's talking to and what he's commanding them to do, if this is our calling as we connect with the believers of all times and all places, we try to figure out how to obey these commands in our day and time. How do we go about this? And why would we submit under unjust authority and experience harsh treatment? Well, he teases it out in verses 19 to 25, and we'll give you a little bit of a clue, and then we're going to unpack some of the how and the why of this. He says, for this... Four different times, there's four clauses here where he gives his reason and logic. For this is a gracious thing. For what credit is it? For to you this, you've been called, and for you we're straying like sheep. 
It's really quite amazing how he reasons out and unpacks the logic here. And so I want to look at this first idea of, of how we're supposed to be um, living in this manner as elect exiles. The first thing he says, with all respect. If you're in the NIV, it may say in reverent fear of God. He also um, says this in verse 19, when mindful of God. And then he says in verse 20, in the sight of God. The first how part of submitting or suffering under unjust authority is to know that ultimately you're under God's authority. In most of our struggle here and the experience that we have in some of our situations comes because we don't get that part right first, okay? God's the one who's put these authorities in and over us, and that's what we're learning in this three-week little section here, okay? We have to be mindful that we're under the authority of God. Another how here, you see it, and there's a little clue there in verse 20. He says, but if when you do good and suffer for it. You see, some may have suffered unjust punishment that actually ended up being somewhat just, if you will, because they were committing sin. There was blatant disrespect. They were being manipulative, lazy work, slanderous words. He's saying here, if you're going to suffer unjustly, then do it for good. Good work that makes the master so frustrated they can't accuse you of anything, and which could make a harsh master even more angry. It could just simply be that you're doing good by refusing to worship the master's gods. There's a clue in Titus, and I'll have this verse on the screen here in a minute, but um, he actually says, don't steal from them, but be trustworthy. And this is fascinating the way that this is worded. So that God our Savior, the gospel of God our Savior, would be made attractive. So do such good. Work so hard to make the gospel of God attractive. And so that's part of how we're supposed to be going about this. He goes on in verse 22 to unpack the how we submit and suffer under unjust authority. And he points us to Jesus. He says we're to follow in his steps where he did not sin. He did not use his mouth to deceive. He did not retaliate or use his tongue to slander. He did not threaten. Last big idea related to how here. But what did he do? He entrusted himself, he committed himself to him, his father, who judges justly. He entrusted true vindication to him who judges rightly. In the last couple of years, I've experienced, really just in the last year, uh, four distinct situations where I felt like there was something unjust that happened that had a direct effect on me, Okay. I'm just going to miss it. Go ahead and just admit right out of the gate in front of you guys some narcissistic tendencies here. It seemed like an injustice that was committed. It hurt someone that I care about or it had a direct effect on me. And in some of those cases, it made me look bad or look bad in a bad light. And it made me concerned about what people think about me. And again, I know this is Christianity 101. We're not supposed to care about what people think about us, right? Because none of y'all do. 
But in my insecurity, I want vindication. I want justice to be served. And in one specific instance, I wanted to actually slander back to be right and to prove them wrong. And on top of that, I want them to pay. Are you there this morning? I'm wrestling with the Lord on this one morning. Walking. I don't know if you call this a conversation. Maybe I'm venting. I'm coming to him in the name of Jesus, reflecting on this passage. And these are the two thoughts that come to mind. Is my vindication not enough? Preach the gospel to yourself, Clark. Is my vindication not enough? You preach the gospel to yourself. Okay, Lord, I get, I get the big idea here. Is his vindication not enough for you in your situation right now? The slander, the retaliation, the desire for punishment or harm to come upon those who have unjustly accused you, who have caused you fault or wrong. And now you're being shed in a bad light. Preach the gospel to yourself. That's how Jesus went about submitting himself to unjust authority. Now, I think it's, it's helpful as we consider kind of the bigger narrative of Scripture. There's another author that wrote much of the New Testament. His name is Paul on the screen here, there are four passages that unpack more specifics on how you go about doing this, okay? As you, as you turn the diamond of submitting to unjust suffering and you, you understand how you go about doing this, these are great passages to reflect on. I would encourage you to do that as well this week. But let's consider this. Let's consider the why. Again, I understand we're pragmatic Americans and we just want to know how to go about doing it, but I'm not so sure that if we don't understand the big why behind things, we won't persist in the how. And so I want to make sure that we focus on that as we move towards the end here. He says in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. He also says at the end of verse 20, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is gracious? When you suffer and endure mindfully of God. That's a gracious thing. Grace in its core um, understanding in the New Testament is this, this unmerited favor, a blessing that God shows you by no doing of your own, but his good grace in your life. Uh, I think the NIV translates this, this is commendable. Did you know that when you suffer under unjust suffering, it's a gracious gift from God, and you're under his commendation, not his condemnation. God is commending you here. And this is why the language, I think, is tricky. You see, we tend to equate, and some of us do our relationship with God like this, we tend to equate our misfortune with God's displeasure of us. If I'm under unjust suffering, he must be disappointed or he must be punishing or he must be condemning me. Now, to be clear, if we sin and we experience those consequences, 
That's not on him. You've brought that onto yourself and you experience the natural consequences of those sins. But unjust suffering due to righteousness invites the favor of God into your life. And I know that most of this room, including myself, we don't sign up for that class. But this is where many of you have experienced the sweet grace of God and his presence to get you through that. Do you really believe that? You see, at the very center of the good news of the gospel, this is so beautiful, is God showing that he's pleased with his son as humanity's redemption is accomplished through his unjust death. This is my son who I'm well pleased with. What is he doing? He's taken on an unjust punishment on your behalf and on my behalf, and it brings pleasure to the Father, grace and favor. Another why here in verse 21, for to this you've been called to follow in his steps. He goes on to say, otherwise we work through the passage here in verse 24, it says that, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you've been healed. One of the, the big whys or one of the reasons that we endure, we suffer unjustly and under unjust authority is that God has set us free from sin and he wants to grow us so that we have a lifestyle of dying to sin and living under righteousness. Situations like this reveal what's in our heart. It's part of him stripping away. We're dying to sin. We're living under righteousness. It's part of what theologians call our sanctification. And then another big why is that this is a, uh, when we endure rightly and suffer under these situations, we recognize that we have a good, a good shepherd, that we've returned to him. And if some of this language sounds familiar and you're familiar with Isaiah 53, there are at least four different references uh, to statements that are found in the Old Testament there in Isaiah chapter 53. So if I was going to summarize, and I know some of you just you love those bullet points, just the way you work. Um, you might just consider a summary of these statements here. We submit to God, ultimately. We submit for doing good. We suffer for doing good. We submit to follow. In this specific instance, we submit in silence. We submit in faith, or we trust him to vindicate. And then we submit to grow in our walk with Jesus. And in doing so, doing these things, we see that Jesus' submission to unjust authority empowers us to follow in his steps. Now, I had the idea of titling this sermon, Yeah, But What If? And some of you, when you read texts like this, you're looking for the side door. There's got to be an angle or a way to, that's not really what he means, or there's got to be a way around this or another verse that like says something kind of different that would give me some outs in certain situations. And so, yeah, but what if? Maybe that would have been a good title. I don't have an easy answer for you this morning. 
the questions I had. What about my rights, my protections in the workplace? What if it negatively impacts my family? Where's the line when I tap out? And it's just good to move on. Does it silence enable more abuse? When should I speak up? It's difficult. I know we must walk in God's spirit, take in the whole counsel of God and his word, engage wise counsel based on situations we find ourselves in. And I know a lot of workplaces, which will apply some of these principles here, um, you've got HR systems set up to address very unique situations of abuse and harshness. The application of this text is difficult in certain circumstances that some of you find yourself in. And I know that some of you have been passed over promotion because of your commitment to Christ. Right now, you're being slandered behind your back. Things that aren't true are being said about you. You're being verbally assaulted. You've been reassigned. Some of you may, in fact, in the next year, lose your employment. It's very possible that that could happen. Let me give you a word of encouragement from the Apostle Paul to his young son in the faith. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Is that encouraging? If Jesus, the just one, suffered unjustly on behalf of you and me, why would we expect anything different as his followers? Persecution is coming your way. And it's coming my way. Make sure you experience persecution. It's not because you failed, out, you failed to live out the Sermon on the Mount ethic. Make sure it's not because you failed to walk in the fruit of the Spirit com- commanded in Galatians chapter 5. Make sure it's not because of your abrasive personality. Make sure it's not because of your shoddy work. Make sure it's because of the integrity of the gospel. Not because you have to be at the center of every drama situation in the marketplace and in your place of employment. Or because something doesn't go your way. And then be ready. Do it for the right reasons and for good. It's possible that some of us in the room could be let go, and we've got to trust that vindication to God. Now, see it in the Savior. We've got a Savior who didn't slip out a side door. It wasn't an easy way out for him. You see, the good news of our message is that we have a master who became a slave. This master suffered the death of a slave in a Roman culture. He was slandered by the Pharisees. He was shamed by Roman guards. He was questioned by Pilate. He was actually mocked by the thief on the cross. Kept silent. When he did speak, he entrusted himself to the Father, and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus preached the very gospel that he was making 
impossible for us to believe. In that moment, he preached it to himself. And we can entrust our harsh situations to him because of that. And in doing so, you know what he does? He makes a way for us as his followers to become true slaves to the true master, to be set free from our sin, to become slaves of righteousness so that we can lay down our lives for our fellow men and be a testimony of the gospel. Elect exiles. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, we do find ourselves in a unique text and in need of you to help us understand in your spirit, through your word, and the counsel of others how to apply some of these things. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for rescuing us through his work on the cross, his resurrection, his ongoing ascension work as he intercedes for us in our difficult situations. God, give us courage to bear up under unjust suffering. God, I pray that we remember well the good news of the gospel in those moments. We'd be gracious to others as we suffer well. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, let's stand and let's respond and worship this morning. God, I love to you. How long Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.
over your fears and anxieties.
We do have a master and he's good and gentle and he took on the punishment of an unjust slave so that he could be your good shepherd and my good shepherd would you entrust yourself to him in whatever situation you find yourself in entrust yourself to him the one who vindicates rightly Unjustly, and if some of you find yourselves in a situation right now where it's really difficult, 
wanted to make you aware of our prayer room. It's available for you on your right as you walk out those doors. They'd love to pray with you and ask God's wisdom for you in that circumstance. Father, thank you for our church family. God, give us wisdom and grace as we walk in our own elect exile situation that we find ourselves in. May we live as your image reflectors in this culture. Stay true to our identity that we have in your son, Christ. And would you receive glory out of lives well lived in that context. In Jesus' name.